Welcome to Fresh Meat, a free and podcast for Manifest Group, where we talk to some of the best creative minds from all around the world. Expect great advice, new insights, and a lot of inspiration. Don't forget to subscribe and share. I am Julian Abuba, Brand Strategy Director in our London studio. Today, I'm joined by Daisy Phillips, Associate Creative Director, also in our London studio. We'll be in conversation with Matthew Barrett, founder of GoldClick, a global football storytelling platform that enables and empowers people from around the world to share real stories about their own lives and football communities. We'll be talking about GoldClick's mission, of course, but with the World Cup a few weeks away, we'll also take this chance to unpick the controversy surrounding this tournament. And we will also discuss the role of big money and big brands in football today. So if you love the beautiful game, this is an episode not to miss. But if you're bored by football like some, at least keep listening to find out about GoldClick's unique and creative approach to storytelling. Because I believe um, there's a lot that creatives can take away from what Matthew has to say. I only thought about this this morning, but I think a good way to sort of warm us up and break the ice would be to to share your earliest uh, football memory. So if I start with you, Matthew, and then Daisy, and I'll I'll think about mine. Sure, sure. Hi, uh, hi, everyone. Um, so my earliest football memory is probably uh, scoring penalties past David Seaman in my back garden. Uh, so oh, okay, you got to give the bastard to that. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I went to school with uh, David Seaman's sons um, and they came over one day and I remember scoring some penalties past David Seaman. Um, About 20 years later, I managed to speak to him uh, at an industry event and he had no recollection of who I was. So (laughs) that's fine, but it's my memory. (laughs) And for anyone listening who doesn't know much about football, David Seaman is an Arsenal legend and also was um, goalkeeper for England for... 20 years, a long, 20 years. Yeah, a long time. And for those that aren't into football, you may know his iconic hairdo. The, yes. Uh, yeah, that ponytail. Yep. And uh, and he had a large moustache for a long time as well, right? Yeah, very yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a strong <laughs> Daisy, what's your earliest well, That's quite a memory? tough one to follow, isn't it? Um, and I said this to you before, Jules, but um, I feel like a slight imposter being on this podcast because I don't come from a sporting family at all. Um, you know, my yeah, my family weren't into football, but I somehow have, have ended up um, being quite involved. So I actually met Matt um, working at um, a comms agency with a big sports team, and I ended up working a lot in that sports team throughout the Olympics and you know, on, on lots of campaigns beyond. And then my my partner is actually um, very much embedded in the industry. But my earliest memory is probably, again, kind of faking it, being an imposter. So didn't have a team, didn't have a family team, but loads of kids around me did. And, you know, that was very much, you know, who did you support? Who did you support? And back then, if you didn't support anyone, it was always Man U. And if you didn't know any footballers, it was always Giggsy. So I think I borrowed, <laughs> which, yeah, controversial now in <laughs> context of that whole uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah those texts those ama- that amazing poetry um, but uh, yeah so for me it was borrowing a friend's Man U kit and it was being like yeah yeah, yeah I'm a Man U supporter you know Ryan Giggs he's my favourite absolutely clueless so um, yeah probably very much how I will show up on this episode today <laughs> and, and what are you like during like uh, England tournament so the Euros and the World Cup do you get involved or do you I get involved by virtue of now having married into a sporting family so you know I have to try not to grimace when um, you know my baby is put into some kind of you know synthetic onesie um, (laughs) and you know try and get into the spirit you know I'll get some nail art Um, no yeah I I think in the big tournaments most most people get get involved right Um, and uh, yeah, and 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 enjoy themselves. But um, yeah, I think it's more by default that I've been sucked into the world. I haven't been Can't able to, to avoid exactly. Yeah. I haven't been able to avoid it. No, nah, it's impossible. Um, my my earliest football memory actually it might be when the Nigeria team um, won the gold at the '96 Olympics in Atlanta. I remember. So yeah, that also bleeds into also winning the AFCON in, I want to say, 94, because there's a famous picture of Rashidi Yakini like, scoring. No, that was the World Cup, um, scoring against Bulgaria and, like, sort of shaking 
the net. And I remember, so like 94 to 96, that's the, when the Nigerian team was at its best and it's descended <laughs> since then. Um, it's probably, yeah, I remember that quite fondly because also the country was, you know, shit. Um, and the football team was great. So that was nice. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting to see how we've sort of gone up and down. We had like one of the, best-selling football kits a few years ago. And the new one is quite nice, but we're not in the World Cup, so hey. Go Ghana. <laughs> is that who you switched to? I'm half Ghanaian, so I think I can, I can, you know, legally do that. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> totally valid, more than valid. Yeah, but then, you know, after the World Cup, I keep on saying Nigerian jollof is better, so. Um. I'm not wading into that debate. I've, I've heard that debate firsthand yeah. over the years of Gold Click, and I'm a complete neutral on that. Yeah, it's, te- it's tense, it's tense. We should do a, a fresh meet on that. So welcome, Matthew. Um, I guess, yeah, let's start off. Like, tell us about Gold Click, you know, how it came about and what its purpose is. So, yeah, Gold Click was uh, a bit of a crazy idea that has snowballed out of control. Um, and as you said in the introduction, it's a, a global football storytelling platform. What does that actually mean? Uh, it means that we um, find people from all around the world um, and we ask them to tell their own stories about their lives, their communities, all through the, the lens of football. Um, so what we're really trying to do is we're also putting the power in the hands of the people. So it's all about first person perspective. It's all about that inside of you. It's not sending a photographer or a journalist or a filmmaker into someone's life and telling stories about them. It's about giving them that power, freedom, control to tell their own story, whoever they are, wherever they're from. You know, we work 150 plus countries from elite footballers to fans, to grassroots, to refugees, to people in conflict zones you know, everyone has a story. And with each of them, we start off by giving them a disposable analog camera, very old school, nice and creative way to start. But then alongside those analog photos, which we're kind of semi-famous for, we get people to write their own story. Um, We work kind of with audio, we're doing increasing amounts in video, and we do lots of exhibitions. So really everything kind of ladders back to that first person perspective. And it's interesting, actually, when you started this, uh, this chat and talking about people maybe don't necessarily love football, get involved so much in the game. The people I like to hear from most are people that don't like football, but like what Gold Click does. Mm. Because all football fans will like Gold Click or should like what Gold Click does. But it's people maybe from the humanitarian sector or the creative sector or the artistic sector that like the stories that come through football that aren't necessarily about the football. It's about the humans behind it. And that, for me, is the most satisfying part when people like that like what we do. Mm. And and where did this idea about storytelling come from? Because there's, there's, there are a lot of um, new ventures that, that are related to f- to the, the game of football that pop up, you know, every other month or so. And I, what I really like about Gold Click is it's about storytelling. And there's a, there's a part of me, I guess, has just been beaten down by capitalism for <laughs> 10 years that is like, so how's it going to make money? How's it going to, like, grow? All that stuff. And I'm like, but and I, I, I go on Gold Click and I read all these amazing stories and I'm like, oh, no, this is about, well, it's enriching my life through learning about other people's, you know, interiors essentially um and i I love that but then i'm I'm also like yeah what's the strategy (laughs) (laughs) we're going strategic um you asked a couple of questions there so i guess the personal backstory is that i've always had two big loves history and sport and at university i somehow managed to fuse them together and ended up uh, specialising in sport, politics, and war during the 30s and 40s. <laughs> niche. Niche at the time, super niche. Is now it? maybe not so yeah. niche with all the things that are going yeah. on in the world around geopolitics and sport. Absolutely. But at, at the time, you know, 15 years ago, um, it, it was quite niche. Yeah. And um, yeah, I ended up writing my thesis on uh, sport in the British Army in the Second World War and you know, sport and communism, sport and fascism were like areas I was really interested in. Yeah. So my personal emotional pull is wherever there is conflict or geopolitics or a society we don't necessarily understand that well what can sport Mm -hmm. and particularly football Mm -hmm. tell Mm -hmm. us that lens that window into that society what better way to learn about an afghan refugee crisis in iran Mm -hmm. than to speak to people who are part of that story Mm -hmm. and hear from them Mm -hmm. so that's kind of been the driver personally 
look, it did start as a bit of a crazy idea. I won't lie. Um, me and my co-founder, Ed Jones, uh, we had an idea to send disposable cameras to every country in the world and tell football stories that way. So it, it started off as a very pure idea. Um, I think it still is quite pure. You know, we're also, we're not divorced from the world of capitalism. We need to do work that allows us the ability to do all the other pro bono work that we do. Um, but I think we've stayed well on the right side of being a social business and we're driven by a more ethical, responsible, moral way of working. Not saying that other people aren't moral, but, um, you know, it is important that we are covering more untold stories and giving unheard or silenced or marginalized voices yeah. uh, a stronger platform to to talk because so often we talk about people and about stories and that's great like mm -hmm. the majority of media and storytelling is about telling these great stories and using you know journalistic qualities to do that this is just different not better or worse yeah. to kind of put the power in the hands of the people yeah i really love the line um football as your language of choice uh, on, on, on your website um, to help sort of inspire understanding between, pe between people through storytelling. I, you know, in what ways or have, have there been any examples where you, f where you felt that football or using football to tell stories has been more effective than, than language, than, than words? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that football is almost a bit of a stealth weapon in a way there are such big issues in the world that often are quite overwhelming for people to get their heads around and actually often people do care about things that are going on whether it's uh, lgbt rights whether it's women and girls around the world whether it's a refugee crisis whether it's conflicts but sometimes they're just so big it's so hard to prioritize mm. you know we might care but we might not care so much that we really invest in a in a story mm. i think football is that language mm. that draws people in to be interested in subjects without almost realizing it mm -hmm. so you know we do a lot in the world of refugee storytelling we work with the unhcr the un refugee agency around that all around the world and i think that generally most people do care about other people but it's really hard to prioritize that yeah. and so what football does is it allows us to understand almost by stealth people's stories in that situation so i would point to a lot of the work we've done with Afghan women in Europe um, and Australia. Um, I would point to a lot of the work we've done with Syrian refugees in Jordan. And to be honest, with that issue all over the world as a way of you know, making people care a little bit more because it's interpreting a story through football. And similarly, I think it can often challenge our assumptions and stereotypes about certain parts of the world, yeah. um, you know, particularly around women and girls mm -hmm. and access to football is symptomatic of often wider issues in those yeah. countries. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think football as a language makes us care a little bit more about these stories that otherwise wouldn't be priorities. Absolutely. I, I think of football, and I guess you can say this about a lot of sports, as like a great unifier as well. And I'm thinking about, you know, South Africa, you know, winning AFCON, you know, shortly after Mandela was released and became president, you know, and I think they won the, the Rugby World Cup or rugby, yeah. And this was a nation that just five years prior to that was divided along racial lines. And I shouldn't say divided. That sounds so, there was oppression of black people. <laughs> divided sounds so, you know. Divided makes it sound like neutral. neutral. Yeah. <laughs> We've all decided to be divided. Yeah. They're over there hanging out. Um, and yeah, in a, in a few short years, you have white, white people and black people playing on the same team and winning, you know, and in, in some ways, you know, just open up a crack, uh, that, People can, you know, come together and, and perhaps see a better, uh, a better future. And it's perhaps not, I think there's also a tendency to maybe overplay that and all mm. right and be like, if I'm just, just about to challenge that point. <laughs> <laughs> please, no, please do. Yeah. I've had a lot of discussions around the word unity mm. and this concept of unification mm. through sport. And I don't like it, to mm. be honest. Okay. I think it does have some good examples of it happening. I think we are quite clear that we see football and these stories as a way of understanding other people. Mm. I don't think necessarily the goal is to kind of unify and have everyone, you know, mm -hmm. the same and happy together. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that a first stage towards reconciliation yeah. or better relationships, working together is actually understanding mm -hmm. someone else's culture, life, history, society. And so... 
I sometimes call it the set blatterization of football. Mm. Set blatter for everyone who maybe doesn't know is the disgraced former president of FIFA. Um, and his view of the world is give someone a football and everyone will be happy, mm. essentially. Mm. And it doesn't really wash with me. Yeah. I think that that shouldn't even necessarily be the goal. I yeah. think building great understanding and appreciation of other people is a much better goal than trying to necessarily unite people. Mm -hmm. Because actually, even through division, you can kind of come together in mutual respect. Mm -hmm. You don't all have to be completely aligned all the time. So, yeah, I think it's just a bit of a sticky word sometimes. Mm. It's slightly, I'm not saying you're doing this, but a slightly <laughs> lazy approach mm -hmm. to kind of football, which is like, oh, God, brings everyone together. Yeah. Mm. The world would be a great place if just everyone played football together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, no, not really. Yeah. Football is a much better way to start a conversation yes. around education, reconciliation, health, yeah. like, you know, ending a war. Exactly. Rather it, than being the means yeah. in itself. Yeah, it cannot be a panacea and nor should it be, totally. be expected mm. to be. Um, I think people do expect it to be. I think people yeah, yeah. can expect football to solve problems yeah. that politics for some reason don't. Yeah. And I also think there is a danger sometimes, especially when, when I watch football documentaries, is, is it, there's a danger in misremembering the past where, you know, a team won a, 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 a cup and we have this idea that everybody came together and all, you know, discord was forgotten for the day or for a year. Yeah. And yes, like physically people are coming together, but that doesn't mean things necessarily change dramatically. No. And yeah, there's, there's a tendency at times to misremember the past through the lens of seeing totally. a jubilant crowd. Totally. And football yeah. is been co-opted by regimes yes. all over the world for as long as well as long as it's been invented really you know Absolutely. even right now you know the brazilian jersey mm. is a uh, becoming a polarizing right. force in, yeah. in that country yeah. you know many regimes across the middle east and and latin america for a long time have kind of used football to shore up their power so you know <laughs> football can be manipulated as well it's yes. not just going to bring about a nice yeah unified Joyous society. Yeah, absolutely. Seb Blatter and the Seb Blatterization of football is a good, um, it's a good segue. And I want to really bring you in here, Daisy, about the, I guess, just how much money has come in, in, into football um, since, I guess, Seb Blatter became president of FIFA, what, in the 80s? I want to say 70s. I don't know. Something for like for a long time. And then he just like. <laughs> should do my research. He just, he just kind of ruled with. As a, as a historian <laughs> by trade and in football, I should, really should know the exact year that's that. Yeah, But it's, isn't, it, isn't it fascinating how, when you look at the, the sort of top line history of FIFA, it was this sort of strange bureaucratic, mm -hmm. you know, thing that didn't really know its place. And then in comes Seb Blatter and he's just like, no, we can make money mm -hmm. out of this. Um, and FIFA has now become, or this, its re reputation has sort of peaked and then, well, troughed quite <laughs> significantly. Um, but yeah, how do you think football got this way? And do you think the amount of money in football is sustainable? And yeah, any, anyone can can take uh, what's this. What's that? I mean, um, I think this is where I struggle actually quite a lot with football because um, you know I I'm a huge fan of what Matt does, and I can obviously you know understand that um, you know from a grassroots perspective football can um you know open up as you say these discourses between people it can be this language for understanding it can be you know it could be a show of collective defiance in the case of you know some of marginalized communities uh you know women girls playing in secret within oppressed parts of the world so you know obviously you know there's all of that is good stuff but I think that a lot of what I see just as a consumer is you know these kind of obscene amounts of money in the context of you know a cost of living crisis or headlines which tell us how much nurses are earning or caregivers are earning and I think that's what's tough for me to reconcile mm. I think you know my husband will be wincing at this going yeah, pay us, pays our bills <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah I think that's that's where the struggle is for me yeah. it's the um, yeah the, the vast sums of, of money um, and, and it kind of gives you the ick mm. Um, mm. so yeah yeah no it is it is a strange one I, my, my feeling about it is this is not just about, about football but I think we as a society respect wealth a lot and so you have this thing. Very differential to it. Yeah. So you then have this this strange thing where football is about talent. It's, it's, a, it's a meritocracy in many ways, although sometimes you wonder why some footballers rise up 
looking at you, Eric Jumba Jumba. No, I'm just, I shouldn't say that. He's a nice guy. Um, I don't know Eric Jumba Jumba. No, but what I mean is you have a situation where you have often poor working class kids who are very skilled and end up in an academy, end up, you know, uh, on the, on the first team, end up very wealthy. And then society then, you know, gives them the cover of GQ or gives them all this admiration and, you know, we then, I guess, stop critiquing, or at least we are very careful to critique the inequality uh, that f- football brings. And it's, I mean, I, I would feel awful to meet Saka and start talking to him about, you know, should you really be earning that? Because he's a nice guy, you know? So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, how, how do you sort of make sense of, of, of money and uh, how say. differential <laughs> we Not are to wealth and all that? Um, look, first of all, and I, this is, I guess my view in, in almost everything mm. uh, around Gold Click is that I think football just mirrors society. We live mm. in a capitalist society and all the issues that are prevalent within football are pretty much prevalent in every other sector. Mm. Also, sport and football is actually tiny, like mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of the world. <laughs> we think it's got such an outsized place because of the media coverage. But actually, if you look at the amount of money we're talking about, these companies are small. These clubs are small. And the vast majority of people in football are not earning a load of money and it creates an amazing amount of jobs and it supports a pyramid. It should support it maybe more. But I think this focus on the 1% is a bit unhelpful sometimes. Mm. It is obviously crazy levels of money that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think that can sometimes give us maybe an outsized impression of how widespread some of this opulence is. Mm. Um Look, and I think GoClick's a great example. Like we are working within a capitalist system. Mm-hmm. We need to work with partners who pay us money to survive and to pay the staff members that work on GoClick. And then we, I hope, do good work mm-hmm. um, with that money. But yeah, it, I just sometimes think that this is the world we are living in. Mm-hmm. And the sources of money that also come into the game are just reflective of the sources of money that are dominating yeah. global capital yeah. and global labor markets. Yeah. And football is really no different. And I think sometimes the reason people are angry at football decisions is because actually secretly we're probably all angry with ourselves and the world that we've created and maybe sometimes the culpability with yeah. which we are living within the system. Now, I'm not someone yeah. that blames individuals because yeah. we're all part of yeah. systems. But I think sometimes our like, Anger at football is just that it's a bit of a lightning rod mm-hmm. because it has such a big presence in our lives mm-hmm. that a lot of the things we're not happy with generally in the world manifest yeah. through through football. Yeah. And the disproportionate coverage, as you say, like I think that's one thing for me as somebody that, you know, isn't an avid football fan. You know, sometimes it's I'm quite bemused by the extent to which it, it it can dominate the news agenda in a way that you know other passions and sectors like you know the arts culture do not. Um, and so I th- I find that quite interesting. And I always think of that David Mitchell sketch it's where he's just like scores like one one <laughs> nil nil nil. The Titans of Wigan. <laughs> <laughs> Settling scores at the Dell, and 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 uh, yes, every match mattering to someone somewhere, (laughs) presumably. It is brilliant. I watch Infinite it every scores year. Yeah, for affinity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that I think for someone who is kind of outside of it, that domination of the headlines, and then that kind of clickbait as well, mm. which does, as you say, you know, probably does skew someone like um, my perspective mm. on you know outrageous wealth or inequalities within that um, within that scale. You know, from the the kit man to then this you know this opulence and also I think the um sometimes what is uh, seen as almost like the savagery of the sector the mm-hmm. way that it's just this churning through mm-hmm. of managers and it all kind of feels a bit murky yeah. but yeah it's a it's it's interesting hearing you speak about that because of course we've got to question the news that we see right and that mm-hmm. the um it's a bit like you know the the violent crime we're all made to feel very frightened when actually violent crime is is mercifully still still quite a small percentage in our country. And I think similarly, you know, football, mm. maybe what we're seeing feels huge, but the reality is is yeah, and, not quite so enormous. And I think there's there's also this, I guess, confliction that I think people have where football is lately one of the clearest examples of how money can improve quality. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a good example is mm-hmm. Manchester City. 
you know, middling. Women's football across the board. Yes, you know. So you have, you have this situation where I, I think I, I like your point about the frustration we have about the, the, the system we're in. We sometimes, you know, take that out on, on, on football. But then there's also this, we, we love our teams. We love our, our local teams. We love our, our national teams. And when you can see someone, for whatever reason, wanting to invest in your team, you know, oh, we're going to get better players. We're going to win this thing. <laughs> and so there's this idea of... Twas ever thus. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know... And, set up the original football teams, local industrialists. Yeah. You know, it's not it's, changed in 120 years. That, that's very true. That That's very, very true. And it's, yeah, it's, it's it's something that I think the game is still trying to wrestle with. I think... And Society's that, wrestling with it. <laughs> not just the game. True, true. It's a good entry point into, like, how... What what roles do you think brands can play in keeping football accessible, keeping football, yeah, ex- accessible and I guess happy. Like <laughs> it's very it's a very general word. I like the word. I like how basic the word happy is. How utilitarian it is. Yeah. How, how, what what roles can brands play in that? So we're at a really interesting time for brands and sport and sponsorship because I think for a long time it was a no-lose situation by sponsoring mm. sport. Mm. And in, in what way? It didn't have the level of scrutiny right. um, that every sponsorship deal now has. I think you could almost either make it a good sponsorship or a sponsorship that no one cares about. Right, right, <laughs> mm. right. And it felt like a bit of just like a badge rotation exercise. Totally. You know, there was not necessarily any need for authenticity no. or indeed like differentiation. It was just like that rotation of a shirt sponsor. Totally. And from now and in the future, pretty much every single sponsorship on every single event team will be under scrutiny mm-hmm. because that's the world we now live in. Mm-hmm. And so brands need to know their stuff mm-hmm. and they need to know why they're doing it and they need to have a clear point of view of what they're trying to say or what they're trying to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that if any brand walks into any sponsorship now, naively not expecting scrutiny because it will be found, <laughs> They shouldn't do it. And with particularly, I know I'm sure we'll come and talk about this, particularly with the source of money now coming from predominantly the Middle East, with um, you know, United States of America kind of having the next Football World Cup um, alongside Mexico, a lot of the countries that are putting money into the game, that's reflected in where the sponsors are coming from. All brands and all people involved need to know their brief. Mm. You can't just think you're just talking about football or sport anymore Mm -hmm. you're talking about bigger wider social issues Mm -hmm. and the organizations that gold click works with you know we've worked with quite a few brands over the over the years we've worked with adidas we've worked with hummel Mm -hmm. we've worked with ee Mm -hmm. um and i think that what we've seen with those organizations that they kind of know their brief and they know why they're doing what they're doing Mm -hmm. but they come under scrutiny for every single thing that they do yeah so I guess that's the thing for everyone to be aware of, that this isn't a nice, easy, only positive thing that you can do anymore. Like sports sponsorship comes with real risks. Mm. Um, and so that's why, you know, to pivot it back to Gold Click, you know, when we work with an organization like EE, um, it's part of their Hope United campaign, which is around tackling online abuse and misogyny mm. in the game. That is a really clear message. It's a positive thing for society the stories that we uncover from you know seven clubs around the uk who've experienced these kind of um negative sides of football um you know giving them a chance to tell their story and ultimately trying to move towards a solution mm. no one's perfect no one's got all the answers mm-hmm. all we can try and do is talk about it and try and make progress and i think in general we try and stand on the side of you have to talk to everyone you can't leave anyone behind yeah and yeah, that's kind of the guiding principle. Yeah. How would you advise brands thinking about getting involved in the in the world of football in, in, in some ways, knowing that, especially in the UK, we have conversations around homophobia in football. We have conversations around the lack of respect of the women's game. If a, if a brand was thinking of playing it in this space, you know, how would you counsel them? I think it's probably how we would counsel 
any brand, um, you know, entering a partnership, which is, you know, entering it, as as Matt said, from a, a place of authenticity and, you know, not just a badging exercise and not just thinking about what they'll gain, but actually thinking about that mutual partnership and 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 what is that what is that story that they're telling together and what is the change that they're looking to affect. So um, you know, I think when, you know, going back to your your kind of previous question around the role that brands can play around making football more inclusive. I think that that's a really important area that brands could could look, you know, to to affect that positive change in. So, you know, we've obviously seen this huge surge of interest in the women's game following the World Cup, but you know, is that going to peter off or is there going to be a longer term, mm-hmm. you know, authentic meaningful commitment to the women's game? You know, that's what I would be, you know, interested to yeah. to certainly see from see from brands also you know um and matt will know probably more about this than me but i saw um uh that last year the the fa um did a whole new kind of piece on football your way and disability in football and there's this annual disability cut now that bt sport are airing um and i haven't seen and this might be you know my my own ignorance in the area but i haven't seen yet um you know brand sponsorship um involvement in that so you know what 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 could that look like, you know, mm. as 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 an area of, of opportunity if 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 the relationship was right? And again, it, it was authentic. It wasn't just like, you know, we're going to do this for 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 our own gain. Um, and actually, I saw something just uh, I think just this week um, or last week on social media that um, an agency within our industry, mm. Talker Taylor Troublemaker, announced that they were um, they are the new shirt sponsors for um, Truck United, who were the yep. UK's first trans football team yeah. and I was like okay that's really interesting um, and at first I was like you know is this a little bit of just you know their own PR but um, actually that agency has always been very outspoken about their um, support of the trans community mm. um, they've just done you know recently they, they won awards for a great campaign called It's Raining Them with Deezer so this feels like very much like an authentic extension of um, something that interests them and, you know, support of a a marginalised group that they're very much already invested in. So, you know, thinking about agencies as brands, that to me felt like, you know, how you should approach something. It's like, this is something we already care about. It's something that we're already doing and we're making moves to make a change um, you know, for mm-hmm. that affected group. Mm-hmm. And then this is then how we're going to then translate that through sports sponsorship. Yeah. So, um, yeah, convoluted answer potentially, but I think it's what we always say to brands, isn't it? It's about it's about that authenticity because, yeah. as you say, Matt, increasingly, you know, brands, any partnership is under scrutiny. And, you know, whatever you do or say, there is going to be someone, whether that's a blog or a uh, a media outlet or just you know the twitterverse that is picking that decision apart and i think there's probably more cynics among us generally particularly yeah. when, when it comes to brands and big money yeah. so yeah you've got to you've got to go in it with with good intentions and yeah Absolutely. and it's okay to have also the byproduct of it being a marketing campaign and pr and yeah. like it being good for business because without that you then can't do the next campaign exactly you know yeah. and i'm sure we'll talk about Hummel and, yeah. and Qatar shortly, you know, yeah. great marketing campaign, also making a good point. So, mm-hmm. um, and just to quickly also say, uh, we have worked with the FA uh, on their disability uh, program. I didn't That's even cool. plant that um, <laughs> for, for Daisy, yeah. Um, where, yeah, we've worked with 15 members of um, that community from um, people with Down syndrome to power chair um, footballers to representatives from the blind and deaf communities. And yeah, that is... Uh, a group of of individuals who really don't get much platform um, mm. and much time to kind of tell their stories. And to be fair, the FA is doing really amazing stuff in disability football, and it's mm-hmm. raised the profile and its prominence, mm. um, particularly with England national squads, to being pretty equal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the 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 national teams get treated like well, yeah. <laughs> um, but then also there is a lot of funding at lower lower down the pyramid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure BT would also, uh, as a headline sponsor of the Disability Cup, would probably want to say they do some good stuff. But <laughs> you are right. There are not enough people saying, you know, we want to support disability yeah. Um, yeah. sector yeah. people as our as our way into sports sponsorship. Absolutely. There isn't much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like what you said about, um, I wrote it down, the areas of, of opportunity. Because I do think that one of the reasons why we see a lot of 
um, sponsorships go flat or one of the reasons why things end up being marketing campaigns and not long-term commitments is because of the definition of an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So if you define an opportunity simply as we want more clicks or more views, then you're going to do a marketing campaign and, and win a PR Week award. If you define opportunity as the ability to effect real change, mm-hmm. and for me, that in, in the context of this conversation, it's it's a question of social justice, right? So if you're invested in women's football because women's football should be watched as, as much as men's football, I think that is a social justice question. If you're just there because... You know, you want a piece of that pie. You want a piece of that yeah. pie, or you know, there's there's a certain footballer that is the talk of the town, and you just want to get some 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 more clicks. Then your metrics for success are going to be quite different. And I, yeah, I think uh, you know, in counseling brands, is is getting them to to understand that if you're in this just for you know clicks, or you're just in this to rack up engagement. When you are engaging with a a space that isn't as popular uh, as the main one, you have to understand that you can't judge it by the same metrics. You know, if we're, if we're trying to improve the inclusivity and diversity of anything, not just in, in football, you have to understand that you cannot just have a single metric that that that, that you're trying to to aim to aim for. And I find like a lot of brands keep doing that, and they're like, "How come we're not engaging with diverse influences?" I'm like, "Well, because the the." world we live in is skewed. So you're judging it in the wrong way. You know, there has to be a gradation on the curve in, in, in you know, in, 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 in some respects, which is a good sort of, uh, you mentioned the, the humble thing. I think it's a good segue to what hopefully should be a very interesting part of the conversation. Yeah, we have the World Cup, the World Cup in Qatar in a few weeks. You know, it's been uh, sort of merit and controversy since since it was awarded, from corruption to human rights failures. Um, we even seen condemnations by football teams that will be um, participating in the tournament. I think the Australian team de- did something. Denmark announced it will be wearing toned down kits to protest the violation of human rights of immigrant labor in the country by Hummel, who are their their shirt uh, manufacturers, shirt sponsors. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this form of protest by participating teams? And I know Gold Click does work in, in Qatar. And I guess what what do you think is missing, especially as a historian? Can I call you a historian? You can call yes. me whatever you like. You know, <laughs> what what do you think is is missing from the conversation about the Qatar World Cup? It won't surprise you. The voice of the people who are most directly impacted by it. Mm. You know, and even us being in this room talking about it is almost not part of the problem, but it's symptomatic mm. of many of the problems, mm. which is that for so long. A lot of the debate has been people talking about Qatar and about people in the country without actually hearing from them directly. Mm. Um, And that is not to say that obviously most of the criticism is very justified. The debates need to happen. But there's a vacuum Mm. of the people who are living and working there. Mm. Um, And GoldClick's approach is to hear from them directly. Mm. So we have worked in Qatar for the last four or five years. We I guess, really got ahead of this debate. And over that time, we have worked with many, many people in the country from migrant workers to students to artists to football coaches, many, many different nationalities. The majority have always been women. Um, And you can't help but hear different perspectives. So, yeah, it's uh, it also doesn't help that it's an incredibly complex, complicated part of the world, Mm. which people don't really understand. I mean, I've been in and around Qatar issues for five years and I'm still learning stuff every single day. So it's really easy to just go, one, corruptly, kill workers, oppress women, oppress LGBT, too hot, no football culture, get rid. But unfortunately, we all know in everything we've discussed, (laughs) it it isn't quite that simple. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I think there's just a big miss in hearing from those people who generally have their voices semi-erased from the the narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Jules and I were also saying, I think there's always something slightly uncomfortable about the people, you know, like us, who are independently sort of sitting and passing judgment on, mm-hmm. um, because it's not like we 
um, live on an island that hasn't oppressed people, um, that hasn't, you know, been been marred in corruption. Um, you know, nobody is perfect and we're all, you know, hopefully progressing and evolving in the right direction. But it does often feel like there are certain people and certain countries that can kind of be the ones that are like, no, sorry. Yeah. You know, uh, you're too corrupt, but, you know, in a way that is never sort of reflected back mm-hmm. um, on them in quite the same way. So mm-hmm. not to say that those things, you know, we know those things are, are huge, complex and, yeah. and, and thorny issues, but it, that it still feels a little bit uncomfortable sometimes yeah. who we're hearing about those from and who's sort of um, casting those judgments. Yeah, yeah there is a, a tendency to binarize everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be good or bad yes. or black or white. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, the world is a lot more. It's not a zero sum yeah, game. It's not a zero sum game. The world's a lot more complex, yeah. a lot more. And people, that. people sometimes dismiss that view as like, oh, what about her? Mm. It's not what about her. It's calling out double standards and hypocrisy before we then yeah. also talk about those issues. Yeah. It's not about saying we can't talk about these issues because you do that as well. Mm-hmm. It's about saying we're going to talk about these issues, but we're also going to acknowledge mm. that they happen as much, if not worse, in some of our countries. Yeah. And uh, we're also the ones often manifesting it in the countries yeah. that, we're <laughs> yeah. that we're talking about. Because the human rights um, issues and the awful treatment of workers in Qatar is done with extreme complicity by Western companies. Mm. Like, this isn't just like lots of evil Qatari people overlording mm. workers from the global south. Yeah. This is capitalism and labor markets yeah. in complete peak viewership. Mm. In the Middle East, because it's one of the few places in the world which wants migrant labor, yeah. needs migrant labor, because mm-hmm. it's sure as hell we're not allowing them in. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, this is the epicenter of this debate about the world. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been good enough mm-hmm. that it's taken so long to bring about um, legislative reforms. Reforms are happening, whether they're being implemented quick enough or at all on the ground is another question. But yeah, no. That's, yeah. No, no. I, I also think, I think we have to talk about that as well yes. as also yeah. saying these are the issues in Qatar. It, it was what you said actually earlier, Matt, when you said, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in blaming individuals. You know, we're all part of systems, and we're all part of 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 the the problems and the issues, um, and we we have to kind of work together to be part of the solution. And the kind of vilification of a country or a group of people in the way that we've seen, you know, in the news this week with um, Albanians, you know, the Albanians entering our country, you know, mm. that's just those kinds of rhetorics aren't yeah. helpful yeah. to move towards progress. Yeah. So yeah, I think that was the the thing that stood out for me when you said, you know, it's not about, uh, you know, I'm good, you're bad, mm. or this is bad and this is good. It's about you know wider let's all do better systems. Yeah, yeah. And how do we... It also, to me, sometimes it often removes the agency of people who are in those countries Mm -hmm. who have been working for for change Mm -hmm. for a long time, often before these things became headline news. There's this idea that some countries get to be spoken about well, essentially, so some countries get to be represented by their people and mm. other countries get to be represented by the governments. Mm-hmm. I think largely in, in Western societies, we sort of believe that, oh, it's the people that, you know, are representative of the, I guess, if you want to say the soul of, of the nation. And in other places, it's the state. And I mean, you can just you know, take a lens to look at Britain through the eyes of if we if we looked at Britain as represented as represented by the state, then it's in the last couple of weeks it's been madness. You know, so I yeah, there's a privilege that I think some countries have, um, and people in some countries have that they're unaware of to to say you are bad and your state is bad and you're not doing anything to challenge anything in in your state without understanding you know just the. Yeah, the historical nature of how change happens within mm-hmm. within nation states. I mean, that's what you're seeing in, in Qatar. You're seeing huge engagement from organizations like the ILO, the ITUC, mm. Amnesty, really active in trying to change yeah. first Qatar and then hopefully the region. Because, you know, again, from a historical perspective, Qatar's always been probably the most progressive of states in the region. And, you know, that's why there's... They're basically a regional power broker. It's why they're essentially the country propping up Palestine. It's why they're the biggest U.S. military base in the region. You know, I think sometimes people don't understand why they're doing this and where they mm-hmm. sit within the global power structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that with it brings a lot of things that are quite unsavory yeah. in the country that also need to be, we need to change. Yeah. And, you know, 
we have the perspective, I have the perspective, like those organizations I just mentioned, that you need to challenge, you need to call to account, but you then also need to like work on solutions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's yeah. the kind of the driving force yeah. I'd say behind why we're working yeah. in the country because we want to bring stories like Ghanaian electricians and Bangladeshi scaffolders and you know British Pakistani women who hated football in the UK because of the racial problems we have, but then found a more accepting environment in Qatar. Mm. Like it's like a real challenge to go like who's right, who's wrong. Mm. Like oh, oh, what does that mean? Yeah. Mm. Like. But it's nuanced, isn't it? And I think this is why, you know, more generally, the kind of cancel culture or the cancelling of countries, you know, Mm. it's not helpful because, you know, these things, these things are are, are complex and, and, and multifaceted. And I think that's what I've, you know, always loved about the work that you do, Matt, was it's, you know, it's all of those individual stories from the individual's perspective. And and those can be varied within the same region, the same team, you know, there isn't just one worldview and we should mm. be hearing mm-hmm. multiple worldviews in order yeah. to, you know, as we keep saying, understand each other that little bit better. It's not about unification. We're never all going to be loudly agreeing. Yeah. But I think a, a lot of what um, makes us all feel uncomfortable at the moment is this, you know, one worldview um, social media space where there isn't that room for that, you know, yeah. divergent discourse. And, and um, you know, that that's for me what, yeah. um, you know, what's been really interesting about, um, you know, some of the discussion today is the sitting in that understanding that we're never going to be you know, one team to uh, use a football analogy, yeah. but, but, you know, we can hopefully understand each other a bit better and be more respectful. Mm. And in the, in the, I like that, that idea of sitting within the mess. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I want, I want to bring it back a little bit to, you know, protest as well. Mm. You know, we've been talking about not binarizing everything. I think protests are um, a very interesting space to sort of trouble the waters of what banalization of of uh, an issue is, you know, and Denmark going with a protest kit, yeah. you know, there's a part of me that is like, oh, it feels hypocritical, like, why not just don't participate if you feel so strongly? And there's another part of me that is like, the act of protest and also keeps the conversation alive. And and then there's a part of me that is like, I guess it doesn't have to equal out. <laughs> you know, what are your what are your thoughts on? Yeah, I'm not a fan that. of boycotts in general. Mm. Um, but if people want to, I think it's great that they should be allowed to. Mm. <laughs> um, if the if any of the laws or the actions of Qatar means people want to boycott it, it's totally valid. Mm. Um, I think in the Hummel situation, it's a really smart marketing campaign, a really good message, and it. It brings them to the table. Mm. Like they are there talking and making their feelings known. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads to progress mm-hmm. because I think if you, I think often there's an unintended consequence of boycott and like huge demonization, which entrenches the other side, mm-hmm. which feels like they may be under attack. And what we really want is we want them to feel like people see progress, demand more. Make keep them accountable, but also you know don't enter into prior status. Mm-hmm. Um, like some people disagree with that, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the beauty of all of this. There are more than more than one way to to look at this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, sitting in the discomfort is a really interesting way of saying it because I have personally you know huge conflicts around um, particularly refugee issues, and you know I look at a lot of the storytellers that we've worked with in Qatar, a lot of them have volunteered at the Afghan compound last year when 80,000 Afghans were airlifted out of Afghanistan after the Taliban and were given sanctuary, humane treatment. And I compare that with the treatment of refugees in Europe, not all countries. And it, it it's hard yeah, to know yeah. where to think. You know, yeah. The UNHCR, one of their biggest partners is Qatar Airways who did the airlift out. You know, it's yeah. it's... Yeah. It's really complicated. And is that brand someone we should make a pariah because it's Qatari state-owned? Or should we say, you know what, you did a really great thing around the mm. airlift mm-hmm. and Qatar with your female-led well, deputy foreign secretary and largely female team mm. did an amazing job at that. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Your record on refugees is good, but 
your record on other things are not. Yeah. So I don't know. It's yeah. um it's a complicated, it complex part of the world. And it we is. should want to go towards that yeah. because it ain't going away. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, Egypt, yeah. Qatar, they're here to stay in our world, in our sport, in our diplomacy, in our politics. Yeah. So yeah. we have to like work on solutions together. Absolutely. I think that's a that's a good place to to end. And I guess the final question is what do you want this legacy uh, of the World Cup of, of this World Cup, you know, what do you what do you want it to be? What do you hope it would be? I hope that in 20 years time the discourse in the history books is well. That was uh <laughs> the start of change in a wider region. It came to it under pretty grim circumstances with the kind of and it brought down FIFA (laughs) there's another thing I'll probably say it it probably brought down FIFA awarding the World Cup to to Russia and Qatar brought down Blatter within FIFA Um, he'd probably still be in charge if that didn't happen so I think it would be good to see it in the overall arc of progress Mm. in the region and in the world around a lot of these issues I think the wider effect is that we can't stop with just Qatar Mm-hmm. We can't stop asking these questions just with this World Cup. We have to look long and hard at all of us. You know, Britain has 130,000 people in modern slavery. Germany has 170,000 people in modern slavery. The World Cup's going to Mexico and America. Like, we cannot stop asking these questions around LGBT, mm. workers' rights, refugees. Like, this is the start. Yeah. Yeah. of people finally taking it seriously and asking questions of brands and asking questions of people who work in the yeah. industry and we all need to be ready for it. So yeah, I think that is that is what I think a legacy of uh, this would be, unintended good consequences of yeah. this debate being stirred up. Yeah. And Daisy, same question to you. Oh well, I mean I don't I don't think I don't know whether I can follow that, Jules. Um I mean, yeah, we we said it throughout this um, episode, haven't we? But progress, yeah. um, the opening up of dialogue and discourse and conversation rather than just finger pointing and cancelling, mm. um, which I think probably applies much more generally beyond this, this football specific conversation. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think Matt... There's nothing I can add as eloquently and as 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 as, as in, informed yeah. as as what Matthew just concluded on for us there. Well, thank you guys so much, and I think I'll close off with I guess making my Sunday school teacher happy by saying, "Let him who is without sin cast the first stone." Um, I think that summarizes a lot of the discussions we're having today. The world is a lot more complex. We need a lot more nuance. A lot of our social media systems, kind of you know, nudge us towards banalization and oversimplification and we cannot, you know, we cannot succeed and, and have a form of genuine generative progress if we keep simplifying things. Let's listen to each other's stories. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Absolutely. That's, that's what, uh, you know, brought you in today. Yeah. You know, the, the, the great work. And look, of- I encourage everyone to go and read our stories on, yeah. on our Goldkit website, but Seek out other people's stories and yeah. seek out what they think rather than assume anything because, Absolutely. you know, it's um, the best way to understand people is to hear from them directly. 100%. Well, thank you, guys. Um, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to Fresh Meat on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever else you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Um, Stay blessed and stay fresh.